welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Good news. Let's talk about good news. As I, as I mentioned earlier today, we are, we're launching into this series. We're getting into the text of the book of Galatians, which uh, we've, we've, we've kind of put a banner over this series of good news. And this week, I've been immersing myself not just in today's passage, but in the entire letter that is written to the, the churches of Galatia. And I've been trying to get a sense for what it was that provoked the Apostle Paul, to write this letter to the Church of Galatia. And I use that word very intentionally, provoked. Probably more than any other letter, maybe only second to like Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul was, he was writing out of some angst. And you're going to pick up in that. If you pay attention to the story, you're going to pick up, there's some, there's some uh, intensity driving this letter. He was provoked for it. And so while I've been studying it, I was actually reminded of uh, a message that one of our youth leaders gave back when I was a youth pastor here at Vineyard Boise. And this is like back like 20 years ago, back when I had more hair. Uh, and, and on this particular night, one of our youth leaders, and for the sake of, uh, of our purposes, let's just call her Kim Gray. Um, <laughs> Kim was giving a message that night, and she started with an illustration. And what she did is she brought out all of the ingredients to make homemade brownies for the entire youth group. Okay, so she, she had a table, and she brought out, she got out all the dry ingredients. And so she, you know, in one bowl, she combined the flour and sugar and baking powder, cocoa powder, a uh, pinch of salt, right? She mixes all that together. And then in another bowl, she combines the wet ingredients. And so she's got the, the eggs and the butter and probably some vanilla, right? right? So she combines all of that. And then, and then she puts the two together and, and combines it all. And she's getting ready to spoon it into a, you know, a greased baking sheet. And, and all the while, she's talking to us about what an amazing recipe this is. She's like, the, she, um, she said something like this. These are the best brownies ever, right? These, this is a five-star recipe with hundreds of reviews. This is, this, is, uh, this is the most highly rated recipe out there. And she talked, the whole time she's doing this, she's talking about how good these are, and she's describing them to us so that all of us are salivating. Like we're, we're sitting there having some sort of Pavlovian response to her description of the brownies, and, and, she's pour, and she's just about to, to, to ladle it or, or, or spoon it into the greased baking sheet. And then she stops and she says, you know what? But I want these best brownies ever to be extra special. And so I'm just, I'm going to add a, a, just a special ingredient of my own, a, a secret ingredient that I'm adding to the recipe, which, okay, it's a youth group. Everybody's guessing what the secret ingredient is that could make the brownies special. Right? And so all kinds of joking, and people are trying to figure it out, but nobody anticipated what Kim was about to do. She reached into the bag that had all the ingredients, and she pulled out a little Ziploc, and she said, I just want to add this special ingredient that um, I found in my backyard. Uh, this, is, 
this is a little brown present that was left for me there by my dog. And, and I'm just going to add a pinch of it to the... And, and so she takes the Ziploc, she opens it up, she, puts, she empties the contents into the brownie batter and stirs it in. Just sit with that for a minute. And you can probably imagine the responses, right? A minute ago, we were salivating. And now everyone is completely grossed out, right? Uh, there was this collective, like, honestly, there was this collective, like, And for Kim's part, she's like, she's like, oh, come on. You know, come on. It's, it's, this is the best brownie recipe ever. And all I'm adding is just a little pinch of poop. <laughs> just a pinch. Come on. I mean, how, how, how bad could that be? But they weren't buying it. Everybody pronounced the brownies as ruined. Everybody said, we will not be eating those brownies. We don't care, and people are like, you know, we don't care how many, uh, you know, five-star reviews the original recipe had, we're not eating those brownies. So I thought about that this week as I was putting together the, the, the situation that provoked Paul to write this letter. And the thing is, there's a similar dynamic happening in the churches of Galatia that Paul's writing to. There's a similar dynamic, only in their case, there's a twist, so the similar dynamic is this. In their case, the five-star recipe in question is the gospel itself. Paul was the one that had first preached the gospel to them. He's the one that had come through their, their towns. We'll see in a minute that he, he traveled through their towns and he proclaimed the good news of Jesus. And he was the first one to ever bring the good news of Jesus to them. Right? There was, there was already religion in their culture but there was no witness of Jesus. So he came through and he said, look, I have for you the best news ever. And he delivered it to them and many of them responded to it. Many of them received it. But now more recently, there are some people that have come and have begun adding their own special ingredient. They're adding a, a unique contribution to the uh, good news. And Paul's evaluation is that it has ruined the entire thing. He, he, basically, he says the good news is no longer good news if you add that ingredient to it. Here's the twist. So, I said, that's, so that's where it's similar. The twist, though, is this. The Galatians are not offended by the new ingredient. They're not uh, turned off by it. In fact, they've, they, they've received it and welcomed it. They actually think it might be an improvement and that it probably should have been incorporated all along and that maybe Paul forgot to share this ingredient. He's, he's the one that left it out and they're not quite sure why he left it out. Maybe, he's, maybe he was intentional about that. Paul's the one who's offended. He's the one saying, no! And here's what he wants to say in the letter. Basically, this whole letter is a collective, no, from Paul about what they're adding to the gospel. And he's saying, don't put that in your mind. Don't believe that in your mind. And so there's a good part of this letter that's actually a theological argument. He's going to deal with the, the belief system that's attached to this. But he's also going to say, don't put this in your heart. This is not just a, an intellectual thing. There's, there's a reality of what this will create in you and where it will go. If you allow this to play out, if you put this in, 
your system, here's what it will create. So don't believe this with your mind. Don't receive it in your heart. Don't live it out with your life. And by all means, don't project this, don't reflect this to the world. That's, that's what this letter's about. I recognize that illustration is unpleasant. It's a little, a little jarring, a little distasteful. Like, I didn't really come to church and expect to talk about a pinch of poop. You know? I didn't think there'd be a junior high boy giving the message. Now, here's the thing. I actually chose it very intentionally. I, th- I thought about that, and I thought, do I want to get the emails where people are like, I didn't want to hear about poop on Sunday. I actually chose it very deliberately because sometimes it takes something jarring. Sometimes we have to step on one another's toes in order to make a point, in order to shake people up. And if that bothers you at all, wait till you read the letter. Because Paul is jarring. He's shocking. He's offensive. In chapter five, he's going to say something that is borderline crude. And he's doing it to make a point because there's a lot riding on this. There's a lot writing on this for them. There's a lot writing this on this for the, the, the community in which they live, in which they're supposed to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's trying to make a strong point to his audience. He wants them to reconsider what they have allowed to be added to the gospel. He wants them to consider what's been added to the good news that makes it no longer good news. And so he's not pulling any punches. Like this is the most direct, most blunt of any of Paul's letters. And here's why. If, if Paul's right, if Paul's right that adding something to the pure and undistorted gospel changes it, changes it into something that's no longer good news, then it's going to be worth being shocking, being direct, being blunt, stepping on some toes. I'll suggest this on the front end of this, that I don't think we are some 2,000 years in a different culture, different time, different place, I don't think we're vulnerable to the same extra ingredient that was being added to the gospel in their day. And so what that means is we can, we can read through this letter and, and, and see what they were dealing with and go, oh yeah, it's, it can kind of just be an intellectual exercise where we, we see what they were dealing with and say, oh yeah, we, yeah, we're not vulnerable to that. We, come on. But here's the thing. In every time in every place, in the 2,000 years since Jesus' resurrection, in every people, every place, every local expression of the church, every community expression of the church, we have a propensity. We have things that we're vulnerable to, to either things that we add to the gospel or things that we leave out. And so that's the, the heart behind this whole series is that we would, we would take the time and the humility to say, okay, What's happening in Galatia and what's happening today among us? Have we added anything to the gospel? Have we left anything out? What's the gospel that we're living from? What's the gospel that we're projecting to the world around us? Is it a pure and undistorted gospel? Is it actually good news? Or is it in some way distorted? Is it twisted? Is it contaminated? So we're going to get into Paul's letter. We're going to get a chance to do that. But I just want to ask you on the front end, again, if you're joining here on campus, if you're joining online, this, is, this, this can't be just an intellectual exercise about what happened in Galatia 2,000 years ago. We're going to ask God to instruct our minds 
and to awaken our hearts and to inform our spirit so that we too can, can say, God, would you help us to live out the gospel in a way that is truly good news to us, to one another, to our community, to our world. So let me talk about what's happening here. Let's give you a little bit of background. Here's This map is actually of Paul's first missionary journey, okay? Paul took three missionary journeys. You can find the stories of them in Acts. Acts is kind of like the backbone of Scripture that tells us how the church went from being a, a localized group of people living predominantly a, a, a kind of a sect of the Jewish faith in Jerusalem and in Israel, how it went from there and rippled out into the known world. Acts tells that story, and especially Acts chapters 9, actually like 13, all the way through 24 or so, tells a story about Paul's three missionary journeys and how he went to various places and began sharing the good news of Jesus with them, right? And so this particular um, first missionary journey that he took is the one where he planted the churches in Galatia. So the year was approximately 46 to 48 AD. Uh, he's accompanied by a man named Barnabas. You're going to meet him in the, in the story as well. You'll see Barnabas with him in Acts. You hear about him in Galatians. Um, but they're the ones that went out and planted these churches. And if you look at the map, you can see that if you look at Syria over here, it's in the yellow on the, the right side of the map. Uh, they started in, in Syrian Antioch and they sailed. And the blue line is the outbound line. Okay, the blue line is outbound. They go to Cyprus, and then they go up into Pamphylia and into Galatia. And, and so basically, they do this route where they visit these, these towns and share the good news. And then they turn around, and they just double back, and they do the same route on the way home. It's, you know, it's an out and back is what we would call it. And so the red line shows their return trip. But do you notice the one thing? There's, they deviate on the way home. Basically, on land, they, they hit all the same towns but when they get back, they don't stop at Cyprus. We should ask about why they did that. They, basically, that's the first place they visited was Cyprus. It should have been the last place they visited on the way home. But he skips it. And I'm going to suggest there was some sort of urgency driving Paul that he had to get home right away. So um, I got a few paragraphs for you here from Acts 13 and 14 that just summarize Paul's Paul and Barnabas' experience as they move from town to town, uh, sharing the good news of Jesus. The first paragraph comes from their time in Pisidian Antioch. So if you see on the map, there's two Antiochs. There's the one in Syria, where they leave from, and then uh, over there, in, um, as you get into Galatia, that one of those stops is Pisidian Antioch. And so uh, this, is, this is in Pisidian Antioch. Acts 13. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, this was a Sabbath, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Come back again. We want to hear more. Many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Grace is going to be a really important word to the churches of Galatia. It's going to be an important word in our study of Galatia. Because grace is, is what it's defined as this. It's God's unearned undeserved, and actually ill-deserved favor. That God has a posture of favor towards his creation that we didn't earn, that we don't deserve, and is actually the opposite of what we deserve. That's grace. And Paul says, when he, when he first kind of teases out the good news in Galatia, he says, this is a message of good news. And he says, follow that, chase that. 
Okay, so, so he urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. Next verse. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the, the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and they argued against whatever he said. Okay, they so they slandered, that has to do with his character. They attacked his character, his authority, his, uh, where he got his message. They, they slandered his character. And then they also argued with his content. They argued with the recipe that he brought, right? So the other, that's, that's one summary of what they experienced as they traveled through the churches in Galatia. The other summary from Acts finds Paul and Barnabas moving from a town of Iconium into the town of Lystra. It goes like this. Uh, Acts 14, then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium. They won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town. That's like with rocks. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. <laughs> the next day, he left with Barnabas for the next town of Derb. Heard a pastor once say that this is, this is like classic Paul because they stone him. They leave him for dead outside the city. He gets up and he's like, he's like man, those guys have anger issues. They need Jesus. And so he goes back into town. And not only that, he goes to Derb, but then, but then on the way back, he's going to circle back through those towns again. So those two, those two dynamics, those characterize the planting of the churches in Galatia. On the one hand, there was eager openness to the good news, the gospel of grace. There was an open reception. There was a welcome. And on the other hand, there was aggressive resistance and even slander. Again, resistance to the message, slander of Paul's character. So when did Paul write this letter then? If you look at the map once again, real quickly, uh, here's a likely reconstruction for what happened. Uh, when Paul and Barnabas made their return trip and circled back through each of the towns, they could already see, because these opponents were following them from town to town, they could already see that the work that they had begun by planting these churches and sharing the gospel, it was being undermined. People were being poisoned. There was already a little pinch of not grace in the gospel that they were believing. So you could already see that they, the churches were being unsettled. They, they saw that there was accusations about Paul, about his authority, his credibility. There was accusations about the gospel, about whether or not it was the full gospel, whether there was an ingredient that had been left out. And so to use our metaphor, that's, that's what they've accused Paul of. He's left something out. There's something he didn't tell you. He withheld part of the good news to you. Hence, I think that's the urgency. I think that's why he bypasses Cyprus. Because in order for him to deal with their arguments, what he's got to do is he's got to go to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem, the apostles who lived with Jesus, eyewitnesses, and say, let's hash this out. And so what happens is he goes back to, in, in 48 AD, he gets back to, um, to Antioch. He reports to the church. And then pretty quickly after that, he makes a trip down to uh, Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And he basically hashes out with the apostles, what is the essence of the gospel? Acts chapter 15 is what is the recipe for the gospel? And especially when we take it outside of a Jewish context into a Gentile context, what do we agree are the, the key ingredients and what has to be left out? And that's all of Acts 15. So the second missionary journey Paul goes out on, he then takes the agreement that they make and he takes it with him to give him authority so that he can, he can answer these accusations that he doesn't have authority. 
and he's going to take that from town to town. But before he goes down to Jerusalem, he dashes off a quick letter, and a letter that he was provoked to write, and he dashes it off to try and just at the least slow the bleeding in Galatia. Let's jump into Galatians 1, verse 1. If you understand that background, that framework right there, that will give you a a way to read the entire letter and to understand what's happening. Galatians 1, 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from man, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. I bolded a couple words there. Let's talk about those three. First of all, sent. Paul doesn't waste any time. He, he starts a letter, and you know, typically if you write a letter and it's to somebody that you care about, you, you might start off with like, dear so-and-so, how's the weather where you are back here? It's, he doesn't talk about the weather. He jumps right into, here's who I am. Here's why I'm coming. He establishes that what he's about to say, he's saying is one sent and commissioned by God. Here's the thing. He, Paul's not defending himself. He's defending the gospel that he preached, the recipe that he gave them as an authentic, an authentic gospel of Jesus from Jesus. Listen to that. It's the gospel of Jesus from Jesus. He's not bringing just an alternative human perspective or ideology. It's not just another recipe. When you look at brownie recipes, you can go search for best brownie recipe ever and you can find many variations. And some of them distort good brownies. They put in walnuts. Right? Just a pinch of walnuts and it ruins the whole thing. Right? Amen? Amen. But he starts off right away and he's saying, look, the recipe that I delivered to you wasn't incomplete. It's the recipe I was given from Jesus. Next, he talks about the dead. He says that this is, I was sent by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And on the surface, when reading that in English, it can sound like he's saying that God raised Jesus from death. Jesus was dead and now he's not dead anymore. And that's actually true. But in the original language, it actually means something more than that. Theologian and commentator Craig Keener explains that the the literal reading is that God the Father raised him from among those who are dead. Meaning that he's not just raised from death, but he's raised from the community of those who are dead. And as we saw on Easter, that Jesus' resurrection is supposed to be seen as the first fruits of more to come. We look at agriculturally speaking, first fruits, the, the very first part of the harvest was indicative of what the rest of the harvest would be like. It was like a promise that the rest of the harvest was going to be like this. And Jesus was raised from a community of the death. So, so this is just a little foretaste of why the gospel is good news. Because something has already happened in human history that promises to change lives for everybody, to change those that are currently under the spell and the power of death. That's why the gospel of Jesus is the best news ever. Because something has already happened through Jesus and to Jesus that has unleashed eternal life in this world for anyone who hears and then receives the good news. That's, that's his appetizer. That's his way of wetting their appetites and getting them to spiritually salivate for the real gospel. Lastly, he says churches. He's, he's writing to the churches of Galatia. And I find this interesting because, you know, we have times where 
letters are written to individual churches, to individual communities of faith, or we might say to one corner of the pasture. So think about like Revelation 2 and 3, those two chapters. There's seven letters written, and each one's written to a specific church, and each one kind of fleshes out their strengths and their weaknesses. Each one is an evaluation. Here's some things you're doing well, and here's some things that you need to grow in. In some cases, here's some things that you've distorted in the gospel. Those are to individual churches. There's also times where, where there's a widespread thing happening throughout churches in an entire culture. And the challenge is that when something is widespread, when there's a cultural variation of Christianity that everyone has kind of bought into, or at least many people, there's a majority of people thinking that this is the gospel, it makes it really hard to challenge. Because if everybody thinks this is the way, is, isn't that the way it is? Paul's writing to address a cultural expression of Christianity. And it's, he's going to have to hit it pretty hard. And he's got to hope for some humility in his audience because what's happening is happening throughout their culture. Verse three, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself, listen to this, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. That is a little synopsis of the pure and undistorted gospel. It's a condensed summary, a little bit like what we find in Titus chapter 2 or uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul likes to, to give these little, like, nutshell, condensed, complete versions of the gospel. He doesn't unpack it yet, but there is an emphasis that the gospel, the pure and undistorted gospel of Jesus is something that God has done. It, it emanates from his will. It was his choice. It was his decision. It was his pleasure. And he has already done this. It's an act of God's goodwill and it's unearned kindness. God has initiated this quite apart from people, what people had or had not done. There's, a, there's an implied, the, the gospel is that you don't need to add to it or supplement it in any way. There's no special ingredient that you can add to it to make it somehow better or more complete. Do you, do you hear why that's good news? God has acted, God has initiated in human history to bring reconciliation and restoration to his creation. Paul references Jesus' death on the cross when he speaks of him giving himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. Again, he doesn't unpack that, but what he does say, there is an evil that is present in the world around us and there's an evil that is present within us. And Jesus' death affects some sort of change in both of those. Up to this point, this letter, that, that opening, that's pretty similar if, if you read Paul's other letters. His letters are, are called epistles. If you read in the New Testament, we've got multiple examples of letters that Paul wrote to churches. Pretty much, they all start like that. And from there, Paul will start, he'll, he'll start talking about the people he's writing to. And he'll gush about them. He'll say, you know what? When I think about you, I just get warm fuzzies in my heart. I think about our time together and how you treated me and how, how we loved one another. I think about uh, you know, the reports I've heard about what's happening in your church today and your community. And, and I'm just so in love with you. And so I've just been praying for you. And then he, he just goes into these lavish prayers that it's like, 
you're praying that for me? That's awesome. Thank you. I say yes to that prayer. Right? That's typically the way these letters start. And so you'd think that if we get to this letter, this is the part where you'd say, hey, I remember when Barnabas and I traveled through, and, and I remember how, how warmly you responded to the gospel. That's not how he starts this one. So, so this is kind of abrasive and shocking. Listen, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Remember, gospel means good news. You're turning to a different good news, which is actually not good news at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. I gave you a little cross-reference there, First, Galatians 1.15. We're not going to get there today. But it helps you interpret this phrase, the one who called you. Because it could seem like Paul's just being protective. Like he's a pastor and people have stopped attending his church. And so he's rebuking them. He's giving them a little tongue lashing. I'm surprised how quickly you drifted off to the church down the street. He's not talking about him being the one who called them. If you read Galatians 1.15, it's God who calls people in the gospel of grace. So Paul says, I'm astonished you're so quickly deserting God. God is the one who called them. By adding a new ingredient to the gospel, they're deserting God. Author Melissa Moore writes it this way. She says, Paul intended for his listeners to understand with startling clarity that they, what they'd received from him was not just a gospel, it was the gospel. And this gospel was not the truth because he, Paul, had preached it. This gospel is the truth because the risen Christ, the Son of God, had given it. So the result of them adding to it was not just an alternative or an improvement he says it was a perversion, a perversion of the gospel. You've ruined it. Other translations would, would, would read this word, the distortion. They would read it distortion, corruption, or a deliberate twisting of the gospel. Verse eight, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And in our devotions this week, Pastor Mike pointed us to Joshua 7. I put the cross-reference there that, that just gives a, a story, a picture of what it looks like to be under God's curse. Understand this, for that audience, that was an abrasive, shocking moment. He just said, if anybody preaches to you a gospel other than what you received, let them be anathema, is the actual Greek word. It means doomed to destruction without hope of redemption, damned or condemned. If anyone adds a special ingredient to the gospel, let them be damned. May they go to hell in our parlance. And just in case they think he's just being like, kind of like flippant, he says, as I said before, so I'll say it again. He didn't, he didn't like just blurt that out accidentally. He's like, no, I meant to say that. Remember I said Paul was going to be jarring and offensive? This, what he just said, it's intended to be a smelling salt to their spirits, to wake them up that if you add to the gospel or if you delete from the gospel, 
it's no longer good news. Again, there's a lot riding on this for the people he's writing to. He cares about their own spiritual state and he cares about how they carry the gospel, how they reflect it in their community. They're supposed to be a light, but if they've distorted the gospel, they're going to be taking something that's not good news. So he says it again. No, this is not Paul saying, well, on this issue that this special ingredient that's been added to the original gospel recipe, we're just going to have to agree to disagree. Some people like walnuts, some people don't. He's not saying let's agree to disagree. He's not saying something's going the open hand, something's going the closed hand, and this is an open-handed issue. He's saying what you believe, the core message of what you believe is the nature and the message and the essence of the gospel matters. It matters to how you live it out. He ends with this, verse 10. This is the, not the ending of the book, it's the ending of his introduction. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is Paul's like, so he says, he comes in strong. If anyone preaches a gospel other than what you receive from us, even if it's us, even if it's an angelic messenger announcing a gospel that's different than what we preach to you, which we receive from Jesus, let them be accursed. And then he says, how do you like me now? Because remember, the people who are his opponents, they've been trying to undermine him by slandering him. They've been saying things like, you know, Paul, first of all, he has no authority. He's not one of the original 12. And besides that, he's just pleasing, he, he's left things out of the gospel in order to, to be pleasing to people. He's watered it down. He left out a special ingredient just because he's trying to, to win you over. But he left out something important. That's the kind of accusations he's dealing with. And so he says, do I sound like I'm trying to be a people pleaser? Is this a, a people pleasing message I'm giving right now? Let's talk about why this matters. What Paul was combating in the first churches he planted with, these are, so these are, the, these are the very first letters that Paul wrote. Again, this, these churches were planted during his first missionary journey. This is the very first letter that we have. I mean, he may have written others, but this is the first one we have, earliest letter. At the end of his life, we have also have his last letter, which is 2 Timothy. In between there, Paul had a whole bunch of ministry experiences in different places. And you know what he found? He found wherever he went, there was distortions of the gospel. It wasn't just something that happened in the first churches. Everywhere he went, there was opposition. There was new ingredients being added. There was ingredients being left out. And so at the end of his life, he reflected on the fact that this is going to keep happening. And so to the person he was entrusting the next generation of leadership to, he wrote to him. This is to Timothy. He wrote, Timothy, this is some of the last words that Paul ever wrote. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Preach the original recipe. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth and chase after myths. 
but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given. Church history shows that as we look back, there are distortions of the gospel. There are things that are left out. There's things that are added. There's cultural blind spots. There's cultural versions of Christianity that are not actually good news. And, and, and the trick is when it's a cultural expression of Christianity, we're blind to it because it's just the water we swim in. And so it actually is a work of God. It's actually a working of his Holy Spirit to help us to, to see those things, to have the humility to say, God, are we believing a, the full gospel? The gospel we've believed, is it, is it the full message? Is it actually good news? Have we left something out? Have we added something? That's a work of God to do that. This week, I've been reflecting on a passage we were actually in in Easter back a couple weeks ago on Easter. We were in Luke chapter 24. And there's a story about these two followers of Jesus who were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Jesus came up and walked with them. They didn't recognize him initially. And he gave them a Bible study. And he explained to them, he showed them how all through the Hebrew scriptures, they all pointed to him. It was preparing and pointing to him. And at the end of it, so, he, so that's, a, that's an intellectual thing. He was dealing with their belief system, their understanding. There was an aspect of this that was about their minds. But then when he had dinner with them that night, he opened their eyes. There was a supernatural opening of their eyes to see him as he really was. And then this is what they said. When, when, when they finally get it, this is what happens. They say, they said to one another, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explain the scriptures to us. This is the banner verse. This is, this is my banner prayer over this whole series of good news in Galatians. Is God, would you help us to understand the scriptures and would you awaken our hearts to burn within us? Would you give us the humility to see ourselves, to, to be willing to question whether we're truly living out a gospel that is good news? And if there's distortions, if there's things we've left out or things we've added, would you, would you lead us in that? And would you do a new work in us for our joy, for your glory, and for the sake of our community? Would you do that? Church, I want, here's where I want to challenge you. We're, we're, we do have some words for prayer this morning, and so we're going we're gonna to kind of close our, our, our formal time together and just have some time to pray for one another. Because here's why. Jesus has done something that has unleashed power in this present evil age. And so we can pray right now and say, God, would you bring your kingdom to bear in the circumstances of our world? And so there's going to be some words for prayer. And we're going to pray and we say, God, would you, would you bring your resurrection life to bear on these situations, these circumstances? So we're going to have some time for that. But before we do that, I just want to ask you, would you, right where you are, would you just close your eyes and would you just give a moment to offer your heart and your mind and your life in openness to God? Hmm. I'd like to pray over us. And church, I want to challenge you to be present for this series. When you can, whenever you can, be present on campus. 
What's riding on this is the gospel, the way we live it and the way we reflect it. And it's going to take some work. It's not going to be one fell swoop. It's not like we're going to, to get corrected on one Sunday and then we're going to need repeated adjustments. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to be here. When you can't be here in present, I'm going to ask you to be here online. This is going to, this is going to you know, happen during our, we're moving towards summer. A lot of us are going to be traveling. We have a live stream for that. See, the, the Holy Spirit does the heavy lifting. Those two disciples, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us as he opened the scriptures and caused us to understand them? The Holy Spirit, Jesus, did the heavy lifting in them, but they put themselves in a place to have a conversation with him. This whole series, this is us having a conversation with Jesus. It's happening on Sundays. It's happening through our devotions. I want to urge you, more, even more important than being here on Sunday, participate in our devotional life. Pastor Mike is writing some amazing devotions. This week, he, he just talked to us even about, at the beginning of the week, about some basic principles of how to approach the Bible. It's just rock solid. I'll put a QR code up for you. If you're not currently engaged in our devotions, you can scan that and you can find out how to either get them delivered to you to read or you can find them on podcasts to listen to. Church, the gospel's being corrupted. It's, there's corruptions to the right and to the left of a pure and un, unchanged gospel. And we need to open ourselves and not assume that we've got the full thing and allow Jesus to teach us. So Holy Spirit, as we open ourselves to you, as we open our minds, as we open our hearts, as we open our lives, would you search us? Search us and know our thoughts. Try us and know our hearts. And wherever you find that we, we've distorted the gospel or left something out, wherever you see that the way that we're reflecting your good news to our community is, is no longer good news, would you put your finger on that? During this, this series, would you purify in us not just a theological understanding of the gospel, but purify our hearts. Awaken our hearts to a gospel of grace. To good news of what you have done and what we now get to live our lives in response to. Would you do this? This is just a, just a physical enactment. I'm going to ask you as, as we pray, just place your hand on your head. God, would you give us minds to understand? Would you open our thoughts? Would you give us a, 
understanding, discernment, the moment in which we live of the gospel we've received, would you teach us to understand? Would you place your hand on your heart? Oh God, would you awaken our hearts? Awaken our hearts to live with joy of the pure and unadulterated gospel, the best news ever. God, this world needs true good news. We need good news. Would you do it in us? Would you do it through us? Would you place your hand on your ears? God, would you open our ears to hear you? To hear your still small voice, to hear you in one another as we as we process, as we dialogue. Would you open our ears to hear you? If you place your hand on your mouth, God, may the words that we speak, the gospel we speak, that we reflect with our, our words, with the things that we type, with the way that we live, may it be true to who you are, a faithful reflection of who you are. May it be for your glory, may it be for our joy may it be for the sake of others. So God, we consecrate and set apart this series to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Words for prayer. We're going to put them up here on the screen. Uh, These are not comprehensive, but these are a few things specifically that our prayer team sensed this morning. Somebody dealing with right shoulder pain. I just wish this words go on and be free. That's going to mean something to some of you. Uh, Fatigue. The word is fatigue, come to the waters of healing. Uh, Somebody has a bone spur in the right heel. uh, This word, get off the fence, be not hot or be hot or cold, not lukewarm. If that that makes sense to you, if that stirs you, I invite you to to just come up front, just around the the stage by the the screens here. As you come up, our prayer team will meet with you and um, we'd love to pray with you. Apart from that, remember, Uh, grab a a baby bottle if you would like to participate in that. And then we have a chili feed in Heritage Hall for the sake of our youth. Go make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.